Revelation 11, 15 through 19, John writes, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we are... We are hopefully in awe of you. I pray, Lord, that as we read these words or listen to these words being read, I pray that our hearts are stirred. And if not, I pray that within the next 30 minutes, you will stir our hearts with a greater affection for you, that you will convict us of your great power your great mercy. You are the Lord God Almighty, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who's coming again. But there will be a day when you will simply be the one who was and the one who is. Because there will be a day when Christ arrives. Father, I am looking forward to that day of that great reconciliation. And Father, if it's not too much to ask, I pray that I can see it with my own eyes. To see the words of revelation come to pass. Father, we thank you and we give you praise along with the 24 saints around your throne, along with the saints who have gone before us, along with the angels in heaven and the host of heaven. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of this message is the one who is and the one who was. So we are in chapter 11. Uh, we are finishing out chapter 11, and we have come to the point where the seventh trumpet is being blown. 
And I want to remind you just briefly, I want to go back to chapter 8, just very quickly. And I want to read to you this passage of when the eighth, when the seventh seal, chapter 8, where the seventh seal was opened. And if you remember, there was a lot of things that happened in those previous six seals, but then the seventh seal was opened and there was this kind of interlude. And, it, and, and John writes, starting in verse 1 of chapter 8, when the Lamb, Jesus, opened the seventh seal, because remember, He was the only one that was allowed to open the seventh seal. He was the only one that was worthy. It says, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of incense, these, the prayers with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And now we come to the seventh trumpet. And what you're seeing is that the seventh trumpet, there is a resemblance with the seventh trumpet with the seventh seal. And there should be, because the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, they're not recapitulations. They're not just repeating the same event. They are depicting the same event. The seventh seal and the seventh trumpet are the end of history that's what we're witnessing it's a fast forward to the end of history where christ reconciles everything to himself if you want to know what the end of time will look like look at the seventh the seventh trumpet look at the seventh seal and so it says then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven. Isn't it interesting that when the seventh seal was broken, there was a silence in heaven. There was this silence in heaven. And now the seventh trumpet is being blown, and there were loud voices in heaven. I think that's fascinating that both of these things are happening in concert with one another. There's, there's silence for a period of time. There is expectation happening and now that the seventh trumpet is being blown now there are these loud voices just exclaiming just exalting god just proclaiming who god is and who he was and no longer proclaiming the one who is to come because it has arrived when christ comes in the second coming there is going to be an exaltation of god and of christ that we have not seen since the birth of Jesus. Since the birth of Christ. Remember that moment when Christ is born and the angels in heaven. There's this mighty chorus of angels in heaven just proclaiming glory in the highest. Glory in the highest because Christ has arrived. He has arrived to save sinners to reconcile the earth back to the Father. And when Christ comes again, there will be those loud voices. Yes, there is a silence in heaven. 
There is going to be a silence in heaven. This expectation of these prayers being raised up from the saints like incense into the nostrils of God. And he is going to be, he's going to breathe those in and he is going to answer the prayers of the saints. And then when Christ arrives, there's going to be this magnificent exclamation because the Son of God has come to retrieve his bride. It is time. It is time. When the saints all claim under the throne, they say, How long, O Lord, will it be before you come and avenge us of the blood that is shed? Now is that time. Now is the time. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, and I love this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, I want to pause here for a moment, lest we mistake this passage and get our theology a little skewed. There has never been a time before creation, after creation, and after history comes to its conclusion There has never been, nor there will there ever be a time when Christ is not reigning. God is always reigning. Christ is always reigning. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a moment where God is not in complete and utter control of everything. I remember in high school, um, uh, my senior year, I was in AP English. I was trying to boost my resume so I could get into college. So I was one of those guys that took the AP English class and uh, about died doing it. And they assigned us like 40 books to read. I read three of them. So yes, Lucas, I didn't do my homework too. Um, so I, re- I, I read like three of the books. But one of those books was Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. That was the name of the book. It was a very short book. That's I know it was because I read it. I wasn't reading those long books. I didn't have time for that. I was playing basketball and baseball and other stuff. But I read that book, and that book was all about coincidence and chance and these, those sorts of things. And I remember this, this one uh, time during the book where they were talking about how chance was occurring and, all, and it was just random events, right? And even at that time, even at 18 or 19 years old, however old I was at that time, I remember thinking to myself, God does not leave anything to chance. Nothing to chance. There's no such thing as just chance, as random events. It doesn't exist. All those individuals that go to Las Vegas to make millions and millions and millions of dollars, none of that is left to chance. You don't roll the dice and pray for something lucky to happen. God is in control of absolutely everything. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. What does that mean? It means that as history comes to a conclusion, 
It means that Christ is reigning and there will be no more sin to interfere. The only thing that we will experience is Christ's reign in our lives. I cannot imagine what that's going to be like. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't fathom it. See, because right now Christ is reigning and ruling at the right hand of God. God's hand is on everything, but at the same time, sin still exists. At the same time, Satan is prowling like a lion because God allows him to. And so he is manufacturing, he is tempting, he is accusing, he's doing these things. And it exists even though God is still reigning and ruling. But there will be a time when Christ reigns and there will be nothing of sin, no reign or any prowling of Satan at all because he will be cast into the abyss. Can we imagine what that's going to be like? This world will be under the influence of Christ and Christ alone. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And I believe that's what it means when it says the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world, it, it invokes this image of brokenness, of sin, that there's still shame. There still exists this remnant of the fall. But there will be a point in history where Christ, when He reconciles everything to Himself, there will be no more brokenness. There will not be any brokenness. I don't care how charmed you believe your life is. It is still marred with the sin of, with the brokenness of the fall. It is still marred by sin. You might walk through this life and say, man, I am just peachy. Folks, there is no peachiness compared to the peachiness that will exist when Christ is reigning unhindered by sin. I just can't begin to fathom it. And it will be forever and ever. When I read the words, and he shall reign forever and ever, it comes to, a mind, it comes to mind how brief this life is, really. Last night, uh, me and Crystal and Jackson, Lucas was working, but three of us, we went to my old high school because they were having a this big basketball cat madness thing. You know, I think every Kentucky high school does it now, you know. Um, but they've been doing it for years, and they did that last night, kind of the beginning of the season. And last night, they ended up celebrating the 1996 and 97 uh, regional championship team that went to state. And I was reminded last night that it had been a 23-year drought. For Anderson County and so it was a pretty big deal and I was fortunate enough to be on that team uh, that went to state and so we uh, we all gathered in there and we kind of reminisced in the team we know mo and many of us were there we all kind of gathered um, in the uh, library which uh, Crystal had to tell me where the library was because in in three years at Anderson County I'd never made my way to the library um, I honestly I had no idea that we even had a library <laughs> Um, so I walk into the library, and there are these guys here, and we haven't seen each other in 25 years. And we sat there, and we talked, and we reminisced, and we talked about things that we had done. And one of my buddies made it very clear that I was the reason I lost the game for him at one point. And so I forgive him for bringing that up. But uh, anyway, it was just a really, really good time to be together. But one of the things that we all agreed on 
was we couldn't believe how that 25 years had passed so quickly. I mean, 25 years had passed so quickly. And it brings to mind this, that life is a vapor. It is a vapor. And it breaks my heart that people, that individuals, are sacrificing eternity for things that will pass away in a blink of an eye. Because that's how short life is. And I believe that many of us in here can testify to that. All the little kids in here, all you little kids, I'm, I'm, and even the high school kids, haven't really experienced that yet. But in not too far in the future, you're going to look back and you're going to say, where did the time go? And some of us are going to look back, and some of us have looked back, and say, why did I waste my time with, with such frivolous activities? I mean, it's true, right? I look back on my life, I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I spend so much energy focused on this thing of the world, or this activity, or chasing this, this thing? Why did I spend so much time doing that when life is just a breath, when I could have been focusing my energies on worshiping Christ and bringing people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? We have this much time, but, but eternity is this long, folks. It's forever and ever and the beautiful thing is, is that Christ is reigning for all of it. We get so bogged down in the news and the brokenness of the world. How can life be this bad? And folks, I will tell you, it's only this long. We deal with it for this long and then there's Jesus forever. May that bring you encouragement when things get difficult. When something difficult in life happens, whether it be sickness, whether it be death in the family, whether it be hardships, whatever it might be, whatever you are going through at this moment or whatever you will go through, and I do not discount the fact that it's difficult and that it's hard, but just remember that it will pass. It will pass. I have to believe that Christians that are being persecuted and killed for their faith lie in the hope that Christ is returning and that the pain and the suffering that they are dealing with right now will pass and then they get Jesus. How bold will you be? How bold can you be in your faith knowing that you may be crucified for it, knowing that the prize is Christ? Somebody might say, you may get killed for your faith. So what? Because when my eyes open, I'll be looking right face to face with Jesus. Can there be a better reward? Can there be a better reward? And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just fell on your face? Have you ever just fell on your face in worship? I have been uh, moved, especially this past week. And I may have mentioned this last week. I can't remember anymore what I say and what I don't say. But especially this last week, I've been reading online. I've been reading articles and seeing posts about believers 
the Christianity that we experience here in our lives is so different than the experience that most Christians have worldwide. It's just not the same. Earlier this morning, we looked up, and Kristen was over here at the table, and I saw her fiddling on the table. I'm like, what's going on? And she was trying to catch a leak from the light. If you're wondering why it's dark in here, we don't want you all to be electrocuted. So we had a little leak. And in my heart and in my mind, I'm like, oh, no. You know, and I'm like, how are we going to survive? But then I remembered flying to Haiti. And they shut the power off in Port-au-Prince for like five to six hours a day to conserve energy. And so when I went to go to church while we were in Haiti, I had to turn my flashlight on on my phone so I could see because it was pretty dark. And the power went out, and the preacher still preached. He couldn't read his Bible, but he didn't need to because he knew his Bible, and he just recited what God's Word said. And then people started spontaneously singing. And I thought, that's strange because the voices sound like they're coming beneath me. This is odd. And I flashed my light down, and sure enough, people are laying face down on the ground singing and worshiping, and they weren't worried about what their neighbor thought of them. You know, we're Baptists. If somebody raises a hand in a Baptist church, you get, you gotta be, you're going to get that stink eye from somebody. We don't raise our hands in a Baptist church, right? And these people, <laughs> Katie's like, I'll raise my hand. And you got these people laying flat on their, on their faces. Why do they do that? Because it is the only way that they can just begin to demonstrate their dependence upon God. They're not dependent upon what their neighbor thinks of them. They're not dependent upon what the world thinks of them. They have one thing. They have Christ. That's it. They don't know where the next dollar is going to come from. They don't know where the next meal is coming from. Some of those individuals are still lying in the rubble of earthquakes. They don't know when the next person is going to come to, to capture them, to kidnap them and ransom them for their families who have no money to give to retrieve them from their captors. They have Christ. That's it. And I'm worried about a leak coming from the light. We need to fix the leak. But I may also need to fix my heart. Maybe I don't need to be worried so much about a leak in here or what my neighbors think about me, or about the next promotion, or the fact that Black Friday is coming up. Serious, you know, I mean, some of us, is like, that's better than Christmas, right? Th we'll talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, they started the sale, the Black Friday sales, they started them two months ago, right? There's already people stocking up. I'm like, folks. Seriously, I mean, thank you for my discount on the TV, but seriously, there's, this life is so short and Christ reigns forever. And the 24 elders they, who, who sit on their thrones, they listen to this, they sit on their thrones, okay? And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God. So they've been given a throne, right? They sit on those thrones. What do they do at the seventh trumpet? They got off their thrones, 
and they fell face first on the ground to worship God. Why? Because their thrones mean nothing if it's not for Christ. We're giving up our thrones and we're falling face down on the ground to worship Christ. Why? Who gave them the throne in the first place? God did. God gave them those thrones to sit on. There is nothing that we have or that we will have or that we've ever had that wasn't gifted to us by God. Nothing. They fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Let's just, let's just pause there. Because it's supposed to say something else, right? The one who is and the, and the one who was and the one who is to come, right? He's there. Sometimes when something bad happens, what do we, what do we write? We write Maranatha, right? Lord, come quickly, right? He's, he's there. There's no praying for Christ to come back. He is there. He's there and he is in their midst. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. I even have it written out here to the side. He's now here. I have it in big red letters here. For you have taken your great power. What is this great power? I wrote in my Bible, I just, I just sketched it out. I said, what, what is this great power that Christ has taken? And it says, begun to reign. I wrote salvation and I wrote judgment. Salvation. He has the power to save. And judgment. He has the power to judge. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. When I read that line, the nations rage, you know what I think about? I think of a small child kicking and screaming in the middle of the aisle at Walmart because he didn't get his toy or her toy. That's what I think of. I think of nations who have kicked and been screaming and throwing a fit for thousands of years trying to get their way. And they're not going to get their way because Christ is reigning in power. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants. Who are these servants? The prophets and saints and those who fear your name. There is a reward. There is a great reward. And it's for those who believe in the name of Christ, who have repented of their sin, who believe and have faith, faith gifted to them by the only God. And there is a reward for them. What is the reward? It's eternal life. It's eternal life. It is eternal life in the presence of Christ. It's eternal life in the presence of Christ. And that is really key. It's key that we understand that the reward is eternal life in the presence of Christ. Because sometimes when we talk about eternal life, we just say, well, our great reward is eternal life. Folks, that's not the major reward. That's not. There are a lot of places where we could spend eternity 
where we do not want to be. We just don't. Like in a line on Black Friday. All right? I do not want to spend eternity there. See, the key to the reward is not eternal life. The key to the reward is eternal life with Christ. And you might wonder, what is so so big a deal about being in the presence of Christ? What's, what's, what's so big a deal about that? Just being inside, because, and here's why. We are, especially in our culture, we are so uh, consumed with stuff that when we think of a reward, we think of an item. We think of, right, a medal or a trophy or a, or a raise or a certificate or a plaque or something, that that's our reward, right? That's what we think. Of. And so when we think of that we have been rewarded, we're looking for something tangible. We're not thinking of a person. And so we wonder, what's the big deal about just the reward being the presence of Christ? And the only analogy that I could think of is, is, is this, is think of the individual that you most love or that you have ever loved. Maybe they've passed away. But think of that one individual that you most love. And you think to yourself, and you know what I mean by this. Hopefully you know what I mean by this. That it's a reward just to be with them. Just to be with them. You don't, you don't need stuff. Or anything like that. Just the mere presence of being with them is the reward. Now, no offense, sweetie. Multiply that by infinity. And that's the reward that we have by being in the mere presence of Christ. There are some of us that would give everything that we have to be with that most loved person again. There are some of us that would give everything that we have to know that we never have to depart from that most loved person. Are you willing to give everything that you have for Christ? Because the reward is great. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. It doesn't matter who you are. There is no impar- there's no partiality when it comes to the Lord. When the time comes to, become in, to come into the presence of Christ, you're not going to be able to pull out your resume and say, look at all the stuff that I have built up for myself. Here's my, res- my resume, Lord. Am I not worthy of your presence? There is no resume that is going to cause you to be accepted. Both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. The time is coming. 
And in this passage, it's depicting a time that has already arrived. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. If you remember the seventh seal, there was also an earthquake. And that earthquake, the lightning, the thunder, the hail, what does that resemble? It resembles judgment. That's what it is. It is God finally judging the earth. This is it. This is the conclusion. It's stuff that Hollywood can't make up. But what I want to focus on is those, that verse 19, the beginning of verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. You see, in the new earth, in the new earth, there is no temple. There is no Ark of the Covenant. So what's happening here? It says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. In the Old Testament, the temple and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant was all, they were, they were physical things. They were real things, but they were symbolic for the presence of God. They were symbolic for the presence of God. That they believed that's where God's presence was. And when the people of God were wandering without a temple and they would set up the tent of meeting, well, that was the presence of God. God with them. And they worshiped in the midst of the presence of God. And it says here, the temple in heaven was open. That, is, that, that would have been unbelievable for a first century Jew to read that. That the temple of God would have been open. It's like the veil being torn at the death of Christ. Because what's happening here is now the access to God has been made available to all of those who believe. God's temple in heaven was open and the ark of the covenant of his covenant was seen within his temple. This would have been both terrifying as well as uh, awe-inducing. It would have been terrifying because you are not to look upon the presence of God. Remember Moses being hid behind a rock because he couldn't be in the presence. He couldn't look upon him. The glory of God would have just killed him right there, just turning to dust at that moment. So he hid him behind a rock. And even the rock couldn't completely protect him, right? Because Moses glued like a lightning bug when he went down the mountain. But it's all-inducing because now we have access to the Lord. There's nothing standing in our way. Because of Christ, we have access to God. There is no temple because we don't need a temple anymore. We're with Christ. So as we close, how do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this passage here? Because like next week we're going to be in chapter 12 and we're going to start talking about a woman who's like clothed with the sun. There's going to be this dragon and we're getting back into like Lord of the Rings type stuff again, right? But for this week, let's just pause for a moment. What do we do 
with this? Well, here's how I suggest that we look on this passage. Every time we read Scripture, when we come to Scripture, we need to come to it with humility, first of all. And we look and we say, how is this passage reflected in my life? And how does it change? What does it cause me to do? How do I react to this passage? For some of us, for some of us, this passage should bring repentance. That we should repent of our idolatry of frivolous things. Just frivolous things. For some of us, it should cause us to hope and to be encouraged that no matter what the difficulty you are enduring right now, that it's only for a moment. It's only for a moment. My grandmother right now, who's 83, she's in um, a rehabilitation center. And I don't know if um, she has congestive heart failure. And I'm not, we're not 100% sure if she's going to be able to go back home. She really wants to go back home, but cognitively, I'm not sure if she's going to be able to make it back home. And we went and visited her on Veterans Day. We, me and my dad drove up there, and we spent some time with her. And um, we're not sure if it was just early-onset dementia or if it was the effect of the medication. We're not sure what it was, but we could tell that she was struggling um, with... Um, it felt like she was seeing things that weren't necessarily there, and she was really distressed and a little bit paranoid. And, and you know what I mean by that. Some of us in here have, have experienced that. And I was, I was very concerned, especially with the idea of her going back home. I got back in the truck later, and I just told Dad, I said, she doesn't need to be alone again. But here was the thing that encouraged me through the whole thing is that even though she was struggling and she was anxious and she was paranoid, this is what she kept on repeating. I'm just going to keep pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm just going to keep pleading the blood of Jesus. Because no matter what the, most, the darkest experience you are enduring, folks, that's the greatest thing that we can do. Just plead the blood of Jesus. Whatever it might be, whatever we're struggling with, whatever challenge it is, just plead the blood of Jesus. Because it endures. And it gives us hope. So for some, it will cause us to repent. For some of us, it will cause hope to be stirred in our hearts. But hopefully for all of us, it, it causes us to just worship. There is no power like the power of the blood. There is no power like the power of the blood. This morning, do you rest in that power? Do you rest in the power of the blood of Christ to cleanse you of all sin and all shame? 
is your one and only hope? Christ. Or is your hope in man-made things? I don't believe that it's coincidence that the second coming of Jesus is called the blessed hope. Not just the hope, it is the blessed hope. Or the happy hope. I pray that is true for all of us. And as that we go throughout our days, we will continue in hope, simply pleading the blood of Christ in all things. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. Continue to be with us, Lord, as you have as you are, and as you promise to do. Be with us. Give us comfort. And continue to draw our, our eyes back to Jesus. And remind us both of the brevity of life and the joy at the thought of eternity in the presence of Christ. Forgive us, Father, when we, when we sin. May your kindness to us lead us to repentance. And may we have greater faith in the days to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.